Welcome to episode 8 of season 9 of the KBB Review podcast. I'm Andy Davis and today we're talking about installers again. A couple of weeks ago we did a really interesting episode looking at new research into the influence they have over the consumer. Now there was a lot of interest in that one so today we're looking at how KBB retailers actually deal with installers. Which is better, using subcontractors or employing them directly? Now, subs are great because you only have to pay them when you use them so you can expand or contract accordingly. However, you're at the whim of their diary and don't have ultimate control over what they do when. So employing directly deals with that. But how do you keep them busy if business drops? And where do you even find them and persuade them to stop being self-employed and go on the books of your business? There are lots of pros and cons and we'll be talking through them all with retailers Nick Warrington and Martin Jones and installation company owner Mark Conacher. But first... Are you a kitchen and or bathroom retailer, a designer, a supplier, or indeed an installer? If you are, then we have categories for you in the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2024. It's the biggest awards in the industry, and it's totally free to enter, always has been. You can find out everything you need to know at kbbreview.com forward slash awards, and that link is in the episode description. So let's properly welcome our guest for today. In no particular order, we have podcast newcomer Martin Jones from Kutch House Design in Haverford West. Hello, Martin. Hi, Andrew. Good to be here. Thank you very much for coming in. Then we have podcast veterans uh, Nick Warrington from Stuart J. Warrington in Macclesfield. Welcome back, Nick. Afternoon, Andrew. Thanks for having me back again. Always welcome. And then last but no means, we've got Mark Conacher from Liberty in Dundee. Hello, Mark. Welcome back to you. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Always good. Right. Now, let's start, as always, with the quick overviews of who you are, in case we haven't heard it before. Let's start with you, Mark, because for those who don't know, I'm sure lots of people do, but it always amazes me when you say it. Your company is based in Dundee, but tell everyone else where you run it from. I'm based in Vancouver on the west coast of Canada. Never ceases to amaze me, that one. So tell us all about Liberty. We are a kitchen and bathroom installation company. We're situated on the east coast of Scotland in the city of Dundee. Amazing. So, Nick, do you want to go next? Give us the Stuart J. Warrington overview. We are a small independent kitchens, bathrooms and plumbing trade counter in Macclesfield. We're in our 40th year and we work in the East Cheshire and South Manchester area. And you run it from the British Virgin Islands, don't you? Uh, I would love to. (laughs) Sadly, I'm positioned in Macclesfield instead. Oh, well, there you go. And our first-timer, Martin, tell us a little bit about Kutch House. Uh, Yeah, again, we're a small independent based in Haverford West in Pembrokeshire. We primarily deal in kitchens, bathrooms and bedrooms. We are 50-50 on German and British manufactured furniture as far as the kitchens go. Yeah, absolute classic independent kitchen and bathroom retailer. Okay, so we're here to talk about how you pay your installers, basically. And this is all triggered by you, Nick. So you're basically looking for alternative ideas on how best to do it. So I'll probably best let you explain it. Yeah, as a business, we have always employed our fitters as uh, subcontractors. My dad set up the business, he he did it that way. And uh, when I took over the business, I've carried on the same. And I've just been sort of recently thinking about, should we be considering having cards in fitters? Is the benefits to that versus uh, using subcontractors? And that's not to decry the subcontractors that we use, because they all do a really good job for us. But it's just whether there would be benefits in perhaps having a mix of a cards in installer alongside subcontract installers and what benefits do you think that would bring you for me i think the benefit is it's an active selling point with certain customers because it is a question that gets asked on occasion 
You know, are, are your air fitters employed or are they subcontractors? I have a standard answer to that is that no, they're not. But we know them all personally. We've used them for a long time. Uh, they do a lot of work for us. They're not sort of just fed blogs answering an advert on Trade or, or whatever. But I still think it'd be a positive selling point for the business. I think for me, the main benefits alongside that are more control over the installer's diary in terms of looking forward in my programming that I've got availability. So if a customer comes in and I want to squeeze a job in, I know that that time is available because I've got a fitter there rather than calling fitters to check whether their diary is clear for that particular period. And then also pricing jobs. The quoting that I often do is for an all-in price, including fitting. So I'll estimate the fitting within the quotation that I provide. So the customer has just seen a single figure on the bottom line. And then it's only later in the process we then talk about, well, do you want to pay the fitted directly or are we billing that? And then we're paying the subcontractor and getting involved in CIS payments and all and all that sort of rigmarole, should we describe it as? Uh, and whether that would in itself be easier to manage if we'd got a cards in fitter. So why don't you do it? <laughs> well, I think historically the theory has always been that in quiet times, if you are quieter and you've not got a, you know, you've not got an install on a, a particular week, you're not paying a, a fitter's wages. The reality is, in the, I mean, I took over nine years ago. I can probably count on one hand the amount of weeks where we've not had any installation work going on. So, you know, realistically, I think that's a bit of a, a null argument at the moment. And then it's really in this area, I've always found it hard enough to re- to get in subcontract fitters and obviously when you look at the amount that you pay them on a weekly basis if you were to sort of scale that up to an equivalent annual salary it starts looking like it could be a really big figure and i think that talking to certain tradespeople, they would expect it to be a really big figure because they probably don't bear in mind enough all the other costs and overheads that they pay out of their business before they actually get what's left in their bank at the end of the week as as a final payment, which would all go if they were cards in in store. All right, well, that's the debate that's going on in your head. And almost like I've planned it this way, we have Mark who runs an installation company and then Martin, the retailer, who has a kind of mixed solution, as you describe it, that works really well for him. So, Martin, let's start with you. What's what's your current setup in terms of your installation? Well, interestingly, we're just employing another fitter now. We opened five years ago on a subcontract basis with all our fitters. I soon realised that the way forward would be to employ fitters. So within 12 months, we'd taken on our first fitter, which was with a plan to become an installations manager, As I, I suppose. That's not really worked out the way I wanted it to. But at that time, I... I was um, part of a networking group and there was a chap who started fitting for me. And I think he's been fitting for me almost every week for the last <laughs> for the last four and a half, five years. So we've just offered him a job and he's kindly accepted and he's joining us this month. So we'll be up to two fitters, but we've also still got about five or six teams that we subcontract out to as well. So if, if I could have everything in-house, I would have. But I think as, as Nick said, it's that balancing act on is the market going to decline? Are we not going to keep four or five fitters busy? I suppose that's that's the question. That's the gamble, really. Interestingly, I did a pros and cons exercise before coming on the call. And my pros list is that 
a hell of a lot longer than my cons list. Just to add one to what Nick was saying about why we've most probably not done it before is VAT. A lot of the subcontractors aren't that registered. And the way I used to operate was that the customer would pay the the installer directly. So the customer was saving 20% in effect. But I think that was more my problem than the customers in thinking that the costing would be too much. But now we we sell our fitters based on time to make sure that we're profitable. We know we have to sell 40 weeks of the year to make that viable. And that's the way we've moved forward with it. And as Nick was describing it there, do you use it as an active selling point that you employ in your own guys? Oh, 100%. That, that, that's most probably one of the biggest pluses. People come to us rather than go to the sheds because they want that full service. And if you can say we're a team, that automatically builds confidence within the customer. So it, it's important for me to build on that, I think, going forward. Okay, Mark, let's come to you. Let's get the installer's perspective of this. From your point of view, what are the pros and cons of being employed directly, if you are an installer? What suits them best? And, and you as the person who runs an installation company, what suits you best? I started off as a self-employed installer, working on my own 20-odd years ago. And as more work came in, I got busier. Then I would start subcontracting other joiners in just to help me out, get me over the busy times. Slowly, it became consistently busy. And then I quite fancied building something bigger than just me. And so then we started, we employed one guy and it got busier again but then i was struggling to control one employee plus another subcontractor it was all just getting out of hand and i ended up more involved in managing that if you want and that's where it, i slowly came off the tools but employing worked for me because it, it was building something bigger than me it was it was a brand you were trying that was trying to build customers liked the fact that we were the guys that were turning up if they were buying a kitchen from us. They were branded, they were turning up in branded vans, quite positive and positive feedback. We have four installers at the moment. We've got two or three guys that we will bring in if things get overly busy. But we employ up to our workload. So I, I, I know what we're going to do in a year, roughly. And if it gets busier, then great. If it becomes consistently busier, then I would definitely look to employ someone else. All our various other trades are subcontracted. We plumbers, electricians, plasters, things like that. But now I'm faced with a dilemma and getting to the stage where when I'm at three, four installations or installers, I'm really starting to look at employing a plumber or employing an electrician because I know I can consistently keep them busy. And I think the building trade is one where since Margaret Thatcher made it easy to become self-employed, building trade became, and everybody felt like they were running their own business, but they were, they were able then to work as many hours as they wanted and earn as much as they wanted. I always remember the saying that someone that's self-employed works 80 hours to avoid working 40 hours. That's the nature of it. So there's that dilemma of finding people that are self-employed that would want to be employed. But maybe in this day and age, people are looking at different things. Employment is attractive. When it comes down to the numbers, I don't believe there's really much in it at all. It's just about what that person's looking for. It's interesting because all this, you, know, you see all the research and all the stats about installers and how the average age is getting older. They're all yes. 50 plus. And maybe the older you get, the more inclined you are to just work the nine to five or like the idea of a pay packet at the end of the month. I think this is, could be where it's going to head anyway. The building trade's getting older, installers are getting older, and they are looking towards, like, what am I going to do? Because most self-employed guys, they're not sitting with big bank accounts, that's for sure. You're notoriously weekend millionaires. Nick, let's come back to you. It seems to me in this conversation so far, so much of this is about control 
Right. How about you as the guy who runs the business, being able to control ev- as many aspects of it as possible yourself? Clearly, your reputation is so valuable to you and any part of it that you can take hold of and sort out yourself only increases that is that part of what this is about yeah i think that's the case i'll give you an example of where you never quite have the control that you sometimes think you do so you know you get a position sometimes for example where you've got a fitter booked in to do an install you might be booked in for five days you might be booked in for seven days you start the install you've taken the kitchen out you find a problem it's taking a little bit longer than you would hope to do all of a sudden you've got a fitter sucking through his teeth saying well i've got this job starting on monday i've only got this much time he's getting stressed i'm getting stressed whereas if you're managing that job and you've got someone on there who's employed by you it would it's an easier conversation and i mean this happens quite often anyway because quite often i'll have the same fit as going straight on to another job for me anyway where i can you know i can phone a customer and say look we've hit a little delay on the job that we were we're working on in advance of yours we're going to be a day or two days late uh, starting the installation on that that's fine but if you've got a fitter who's going off and working on another job sometimes it creates a conflict that only really exists because you don't have full control of their diary and then the other thing that i see is you book them in for a week or 10 days or whatever and then they get someone phoning them up saying i'm desperate for a fitter can you fit this in for me and then they end up doing evenings and weekends to fit another job in alongside yours they will tell you that that doesn't affect what they're doing on your job but the reality is if you've got a fitter who's working 12 or 14 hour days because he's doing a day at your job and then he's going and doing another four hours somewhere else and then he's working all weekend and then he's coming back onto your job that's got to have an impact on the way that they're working both on my job as well as uh, as well as the other job that they're working on you're not just talking about ringing the customers up to tell them that there's been a delay you've also got the fitter going i can't delay yeah exactly as you say double stress Let's come to you a minute, Martin, because as you say, it's very easy to draw up a long list of pros, but I guess one of the cons is this ability to expand or shrink your business according to how busy you are. Yeah, when when Nick was talking then, it was um, I've had it before where I've had a really good fitter, and then I tend to ask them what, what their availability is, or more to the point, when they're not available, and we keep a diary to that effect so we can look where we can plan jobs in. And I've had it before where a fit has gone, I'm out for three months now because I've taken this site job on or something like that. And it can scupper you because all boils down to it. This is all about business planning and about the numbers. And at the start of every year or at the end of every year, we do the calculations on how many kitchens we need to deliver and fit and what margins we need and how many fitters we need to fulfill that. And if you lose a couple of fitters in the year, that can suddenly make your business unprofitable. Even though you're selling the numbers, if you can't fit them, you're not going to make the money because you don't get paid until the last screw is put in and you've had the last sweep up. So it's it's really about that for me is, is getting the numbers in. And the more control I've got over that with my own fitters, the better. But the thing is, Mark, if we come to you, because what... Nick and Martin are talking about here is about effectively employing one-man bands to come and do these jobs for them. Whereas you're, you know, you're an installation company. You work alongside a lot of retailers like Nick and Martin to take care of their installation stuff for them. So it's a slightly different context, that isn't it? Yeah, we do contract work. We do a mix of both. I'd be lying if I didn't say that the contract work gives me that cushion 
to employ because I know X amount is going to come in every year. And to begin with, that was kind of where I was, was at when I began. It was all eggs in one basket. And doing that, I got burnt a number of times with the likes of MFI and decided to, whilst I, I still liked that side of things, I had to change and become a bit of both and start creating this brand and creating something that people knew. Uh, as I say, when MFI went under, I lost all my work. I lost a lot of money and nobody knew me. So I was starting again from day one, trying to find work. So in doing a bit of both really works for, for Liberty, but the balance is, is probably 50-50 now as to private work. Just going back to older fitters and you know, people are getting older, there's, there's no fitters around to find or decent fitters around to find. I think more fitters could be starting to look towards employment. If they're coming to the end of their time, there's no big bank account to, or pension sitting there. And because they're one-man bands, you know, they say, oh, take on an apprentice and leave this legacy. But that apprentice just wants your legacy. There's, there's no cash coming off the top of that to feed you as a pension and plus a guy running the business. He just wants it all. So employing these older fitters and giving them the last 10, 15 years of their career and it being enjoyable for them, there's pension contributions going for them, that then helps entice you to bring an apprentice in and, and train that apprentice. Because a one-man band doesn't really want to. No, there's no big cute one-man bands standing there looking to take on an apprentice. We have apprentices, but we don't have the guys to take them on. And that's simply because these one-man bands really, truly see them as a massive threat because we train them up and then they go elsewhere. Whereas when you're a company and you have your private work, you're not relying, really relying on contracts and you've got a volume of work, then taking on apprentices isn't as big a threat because you know, that apprentice can, can walk all he likes. He's, he's no competition to you, which will then allow us to, to save where this industry is going as far as installation is concerned. I mean, it's a really interesting point of view, that, Nick, isn't it? Because if you're looking to employ guys, you know, you're a family business, you've been around a long time. Mark's absolutely right there. There's as much value in training up your own guys from scratch as there is from trying to employ yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, as Mark was talking about that, I was sort of running through my head the fitters that I know and the age, <laughs> the typical age of those fitters. And there's probably only two exceptions where the fitters that I know are under 45 to 50 and a significant of them are probably at the upper end of the 50s uh, rather than the lower end of the 50s. And, you know, one of those was trained by his dad, who's also a kitchen fitter. And one of those came through by serving his time as a joiner. But amongst all of them, none of them would take on another individual who they didn't know as an apprentice. I've, I've even had that conversation uh, with one of my subcontractors that don't you think it would be a good idea to, to take an apprentice on? And it's really, well, well, what do I do today is when I don't really need him. Sometimes I just get in the way, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> so completely, I could see the benefit in having someone who is employed, who has experience and then bring, bringing in an apprentice alongside them as well. I think that's the difference is, as a business, you're looking at the bigger picture. If you know last year and the year before you've done 50 installations, you know you could employ someone and there's not going to be an issue. And if you don't have any wiggle room in there, then your pricing's off because you can't pay employed people the same rate as you're paying self-employed people, but you're charging the customer the same. So there is wiggle room there. The industry as a whole will be better the more employees there are. It will be more secure. 
The funny thing is, my two fitters are both early 30s. Don't shout that too loudly, Mark. Everyone want one. <laughs> uh, but succession planning certainly has to play a part in the business, which is why if we're going to grow moving forward, we have to employ our own fitters because that allows us to take on apprentices that we can train to work the way that we want them to work so we set standards for our business so customers know what to expect when they come to Kutch House. So that's really important. My, the biggest thing for me is the lack of support from, I don't want to get political, but from the government or from local agencies in actually taking on apprentices. It's, there's lots of talk of it, but I see very little action out there. And I know that's a whole different podcast. That's a whole different podcast, but you're absolutely right. It's a crucial part of it, isn't it? Here's a, someone who wants them, who wants to do it, wants to take it on, can see the benefit of it, but something is standing in your way and that's clearly not right. What stands in my way is £10.50 an hour minimum wage. Simple as that really and the commitment of four or five years of training someone well it's certainly two or three years before they can become uh, income producing let's come back to you nick because you've got your own list of pros and cons in your head what is stopping you particularly given everything you've heard here today what is stopping you first thing monday morning going out and employing somebody I think the thing that would stop me doing that on Monday morning at the moment is just in the local market, particularly just finding people to actually be prepared to come as a, as a as a full time employee, and that's something that I you know I think realistically I just need to get out there and explore more and try and find people who are interested in that and I've, I'll be the first to admit and hold my hands up and say I've, so far I've not pro, been proactive in doing that I think I need to sit down and work out what I'd be offering as a salary for them and looking at the overheads that I'd be carrying as an employer rather than subcontractor because obviously you don't have any upfront cost shall we say uh, when you're just taking on uh, subcontractors but mainly I've found it very hard in the local market to find people who would be in interested in taking on a cards in role because as, as we were talking about at the moment it particularly in a buoyant market they've all been buoyed by earning good sums of money by being being self-employed with little risk to them at the moment of of having downtime if the market cools a little bit i, I would imagine that there'll be some fitters out there who perhaps are a little bit more open to the to the thought that a regular weekly wages has got a bit more uh, attraction to them it's not any different than selling a kitchen. Why should someone come and buy a kitchen from you? So yeah. it's the same as an employee. Why should an employee come and work for you? It's what you offer them. It's the laws of attraction. It has to be worth their while. But not everybody works for money. It's time as well, isn't it? So it's, yeah. It's, so the, I haven't had to sell this. The boys bought into it in that they don't have to do their quotes at night they you know they do a bit of overtime here and there but it's never compulsory or they can have the time back uh, the other thing is they get their holidays every year which they don't have to stress about and they're paid when they're on holidays sickness pay all these things come into it and for a lot of a lot of the guys it's just easier for them it makes it an easier life and uh, certainly when they've got young families it, it's making their you know that work-life balance maybe a little bit better for them more people are looking towards family life and just building a brand, building something that's bigger than you. If you've got a business, if I disappear tomorrow, Liberty's still here and these guys have still got a job and they've still got something to be proud of and something to build off of. Whereas if they were self-employed, they would just disappear and, and Liberty would just disappear. I like to be a business that I hope is going to be around for an extremely long time, certainly a lot longer than me. Well, and you're in Vancouver as well, Mark, so if you disappeared, it would take them at least 24 hours to work out that you'd gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, the, the, the other thing that really uh, can be a blocker for some of these guys, and it was thrown at me by the chap I'd recently taken on, was is the flexibility on hours. And I said, well, you can stay flexible as long as you, long as I get my hours out of you in that week and the customer's happy and the, the communication is correct with me and the customer. I don't mind if you've got to drop the kids off to school in the morning and you're not getting to the job till half nine and you work till six o'clock. I don't mind as long as the communication around that is all correct. And I think once they understand that, it eases things a little bit and they realize you're not going to be an ogre and you're not going to be, why did you have a 10 minute tea break or whatever at that stage? <laughs> you know, I think it, it really does help. If you if you can be flexible with the guys as well as they can be flexible with you, the, I mean the interesting thing is that really I behave like that with my subcontract fit, <laughs> fitters anyway. In that yeah. I think they know that I've never been the type where if I'm taking a subcontractor on, if they say I'm not going to be in, that's fine. We'll, we'll speak to the customer. Family comes first. Let's get that sorted, and then. You know, we'll carry on with the job because there's there's nothing on the job that is that critical. So we already have that relationship. I'm quite happy with people working. You know, I'd, I'd even go further than that, and that you know, if someone wants to come and work for me as an employee and does want to do the odd job in evenings and weekends for people that they know, then you know, I, I, that doesn't really concern me either, as long <laughs> as long as they're doing the job for me. Well, I'm going to have to draw this to a close, chaps, because the clock has beaten us. But this is such a fascinating subject, and I'd love to revisit it in a few months' time, Nick, to see what you've actually done and what conclusions you've come to. But for now, thank you, chaps, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. That was Nick Warrington, Martin Jones, and, of course, Mark Conacher down a crackly line from Vancouver. As always, there's no straightforward answer to whether you should employ or not. But the one thing that is clear, I think, out of that is that finding good, qualified, experienced people continues to be a real problem either way. Don't forget to find out all about the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2024 at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. Remember, it's totally free to enter, so what have you got to lose? The link is in the episode description. See you next time. 